This is loudspeaker. Please don't go. I need you so. I. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the podcast about finding joy through feminism and living your best feminist life. I'm your host, Adrienne Vandervalk. Just a warning, today's episode contains mind bombs, all dropped by my guest, Amanda Starr Kingsley, a life coach who specializes in helping people find the lives they want after having abortions. She's also host of the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast. Amanda and I met through a women's podcasting group and have stayed in touch over the last year or so. And I've never met anyone who does what she does in quite the way that she does it. So when I was putting this season together, I felt like she was someone I really wanted to learn more about, and I'm so glad I did. As you will hear, Amanda has had an abortion herself, an experience she talks about openly, and that experience changed the entire course of her life. Now she helps other people change the course of their lives, and she does it with wit, intelligence, and insight that significantly reframed abortion for me, which was not something I was expecting to happen when we started talking. I know you'll have a lot to think about after this episode too, so please enjoy my conversation with Amanda Starr Kingsley. Tell us about you who you are, what you do, what you're about. How do you describe yourself when you talk to other people? I am a life coach, first and foremost. My past world was as a birth worker. So I feel like that work is just a part of who I am. It's not necessarily how I identify like out in the world as a professional, but it's so much of who I am. So much of my work stems from my love for birth, my love for midwifery, my love for postpartum and pregnant bellies and babies. So that piece feels important. But now I, my work is as a life coach. And looking back, of course, it was always supposed to be as a life coach. (laughs) It was one of those things for me that I found and I was like, wait, that's a thing. Like that is what I've been doing my whole life. I just kept doing it in different jobs, right? And so as soon as I certified as a life coach through the life coach school, I narrowed in and now I work only with women after abortion. So we talk about all the things. We talk about the complexity and the feelings and the sharing of story and the smashing the stigma and the who am I and who was I and who am I going to be? That's where I've landed and I seriously could not be happier. I love that I get to get on a call or a podcast and laugh and cry all in the same episode. It's like fantastic. Well, thank you. I've heard of abortion doulas, but I have never heard of post-abortion life coach. And you're the first person I've met who does this work. And I think it's so intriguing. And I really love that you situate that within your larger calling as someone who was very involved in in birth and pregnancy and that you see this as related to that. I think that that's a really, that narrative and that framing is something I think might be new to a lot of people, but it makes total, total sense to me. Can you talk a little bit more about how those things are related? Yeah, I think it's really important because 
so I studied midwifery. I went to midwifery school. I decided to have my own family. So I didn't go into midwifery the way I anticipated, but I did go into doula work. So I've attended many, many, many births and done like all the teaching and networking and all of that was my world. And I had three kids when I found out I was pregnant with the unplanned pregnancy. Here I had all these like OBs and midwives and doulas and like everything in my world was reproductive health and women's health. And I was completely lost. Like here I was with an unplanned pregnancy. I didn't even understand like how to get an abortion or what it would be like. Like I had done the work of labeling myself pro-choice and supporting abortion, but I didn't get it. Like I didn't know where the people were or what they were, what conversations they were having or how to feel loved and held. <laughs> and that lack of support, even as someone who was literally like in the throes of women's health. Like I texted my OB and said, are we allowed to share, swear on this podcast? Oh, please. <laughs> <Okay>. Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, shit, I'm pregnant. You know, she had inserted my IUD. I texted her on a Saturday morning, like as a friend. And I still felt so alone and so lost and so confused. Everyone I asked was like, I don't really have resources for you. Like, how, what am I missing here? I realized that I wasn't missing much, like the world was missing it. There was two narratives around abortion. One was abortion is healthcare. It's no big deal. Everybody gets them, move on with your life. And the other was abortion is murder. It's horrible. You are gonna be doomed and punished for the rest of your life. And what was in the middle? Like me and my story was in the middle. And so I was completely lost because I was sad. It wasn't an easy choice for me. Like I had versions of shame and versions of what ifs and versions of like, who am I and what just happened? And why did I make that decision? And what do I want to do with it? But no one was talking about it. Like no one. And all the pregnancy loss organizations, they were like, we don't, we don't talk about abortion you're not welcome here. And so basically I just spent the last four years creating what was missing for me because if it was missing for me, it was like literally non-existent for most of the world. So like those two pieces of the story are so important that I was in the world and I was so lost and alone. And so I've just spent my, it's been a journey finding my voice. Like what is how dare I speak out to this middle zone of like, you're allowed to be sad and still it to be okay. So yeah, it's just been a process of becoming who I wish I had had when I had my experience. Well, I really appreciate you being so open and sharing your story with us. And I'm sorry that you had to go through <laughs> so much strife to get where you are, but what an amazing yeah. gift that you're offering the world. And Tell me a bit about how this translated into you starting the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast. Um, the podcast was really just the element that felt natural and good for me. 
I've been told by all kinds of businessy people that I was supposed to be Facebook living and YouTubing and hosting webinars and like all the things and none of it felt good. Like my authentic voice, my truth came through in audio in a way that it didn't come through. So podcasting in other places. So two things really allow me to be my most authentic self. One is writing and one is podcasting. So I, I just took the leap and said, Hey, you know, I don't need to follow all the rules. (laughs) If podcasting feels right. Our audience is so alone and scared that putting on some headphones and hearing someone talk about abortion is a big deal. Like they can do that in privacy. They can do that on a walk. They can do that while they're doing dishes. It's a platform that really reaches the people who want to listen for me. What do the words speaking light mean to you? Why did you choose that as the title for your podcast? Yeah, speaking light to me. Well, first of all, (laughs) I think it's important to say that I have a spiritual connection with that abortion soul. So sometimes things just come to me and I trust them and I go with them. So I feel like that was sort of a piece of the title of the podcast and my work is that it just came to me and it felt right and I went with it. But really it's speaking to and saying things that aren't being said, right? So for me, light isn't about positivity or glitter or like rainbows. It's not like a light and cheery. It's just literally like, let's shine a spotlight on what's not being seen. Let's get real and raw and vulnerable and like show the world like what we're really thinking after we have abortions. And of course, there are tons of women who do have a healthcare procedure and they move on and they never think about it again. And there are tons of women who are in full on regret and they will spend the rest of their lives beating themselves up. And so what I'm speaking light to is the middle, right? So I don't meet everyone's needs. I'm very much speaking to my people in my way. (laughs) And so speaking light for me is like, just speaking to that narrative in the middle that hasn't been talked about and shining some light where it wasn't shown. Part of how we smash the stigma around abortion is to speak to it, right? Is to tell our stories, is to say what we're feeling, to put words to what we're feeling. So that's a really important part of the speaking is like, we need to talk about this. Does that mean everyone has to blast their abortion all over the internet? No. Does that mean everyone has to have a podcast to break down the stigma? No. But the more of us who do share our story, the more we normalize it, not just in a like, this is healthcare way, but like really normalize it. Like we are human, we are women. We have, we feel like mothers when this happens. And again, I'm speaking of my people, not everyone has those feelings, but that speaking is so important because for me, that's how we smash the stigma. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your coaching business specifically, kind of your approach and 
Like what is what does it look like when someone comes to you for coaching? Well, just like abortion, just like women, it's unique and different for everybody. So I don't walk people through a program. I don't walk them through like a system. We really dig into who are you? Where are you at? What do you need? But most importantly for me, and this is the life coaching versus therapy is like, where do you want to go? I have a lot of clients who are also seeing therapists and the therapist's job is so important. It's like, let's get to stable. Let's be able to get out of bed. Let's manage our anxiety or depression with meds if we need to. But as a life coach, I do that work. We do manage depression and anxiety, but not in a clinical way. It's really like, who are you right now? And who do you want to become? And how do we get there? So it's my job is to take them on that journey. Why are you feeling what you're feeling? Why are you getting the results in your life that you're getting? Where do you want to go? And how do we do that? So that is much of the work with my one-to-one clients. At this point, I've been working with one-to-one clients for a while. So I have this like group of people who are ready for the next thing. <laughs> like They've done that work. And they're like, what's next? So I do have a group program now. It's a safe space for anyone who's had an abortion because I truly believe that our abortions are our strength, right? Like we can actually get where we want to go faster because we've had abortions. We can write the book better because we've had abortions. We can build the business faster because we've had abortions. So how do we really utilize that strength of who we became in the experience and like turn it into something. And again, not everybody has to turn their abortion into something, but if you want to, like, it's such an amazing way to like, just drive you forward, right? It's like, hey, this thing happened and I'm gonna make it mean this. I'm gonna make it mean I'm a badass businesswoman. I'm going to go after my dreams of traveling the world. I'm going to write that book. I'm going to produce that music, whatever it is. So those two elements mostly is tons of free content, the podcast and writing, and I will be publishing a book soon. So there's all that work. And then the one-on-one work and the group work. It's just so fun. I feel so lucky. So this is Feminist Hot Dog, and abortion is an issue that many people do think of as a feminist issue. So I'd love to invite you to talk about your relationship to the word feminist. Is that a word that you identify with? And if so, what are some of your important feminist milestones? Yeah, I love that. Um, Yes, I do identify as a feminist. I always have identified as a feminist. I was a women's studies major in undergrad, but I was actually, you you asked about some of the important milestones. I was actually the student in class, right? In this like, these deep academic feminist classes saying, what about the moms? What about the women who wanna stay home? (laughs) What about the women who don't want corporate careers? 
I've always kind of been a devil's advocate and that didn't change in my feminist study. It was like, we really need to have all the conversations in feminism. Like there are some people who really do want to stay home with their kids and take care of the house. And like, that is just as valid and beautiful a thing as becoming a corporate CEO or, or a politician or whatever. So I was a little bit of a troublemaker in my women's studies undergraduate work, which is just kind of who I am, <laughs> maybe obviously at this point in the work that I do. That really led me to learning about birth in America. Like I'd always been drawn to birth and pregnancy and babies and postpartum was just like, I say it runs in my blood, but studying women's studies at a deeper level really led me to like what is birth in America and how did it get so effed up? And really that's like our womb story. So that really led me to like a lot of years of passion about bringing birth back home in many cases or a birth center or like what happened in the hospitals? How did we get to this place where birth is like actually dangerous for so many women? Like this is so not right dangerous in a really medical way. And I appreciate hospital birth. I've had two of them. So it's not like a, again, it's not like a either or situation. This is just like really an exploration. So birth work and feminism was a big thing. And I would say lastly, like raising my girls as particularly so I have a 16 and a 13, almost 14 year old daughters and a six year old son, seven year old son. And them moving into their teen years has been really transformational for me. Entering the world of like birth control and voice and consent and like really seeing through a different lens how messed up things still are. <laughs> so raising daughters certainly is my most recent, well, of course the abortion that was life-changing in terms of my feminist beliefs but yeah raising daughters is probably the last big milestone I'm curious to know I imagine that doing the work that you do and living your identity as someone who has had an abortion out loud that you have probably received some negative comments and I'm just curious to know if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those experiences if you've ever you know, if you'd get negative comments or harassment aimed at you because of the work that you do and how do you handle that? Some of the worst, there's the typical murder comments. Those are fun. One of the most memorable and painful for me was like, your kids are going to be so mad at you when they find out you murdered their sibling. Like that was a good one. I don't get a lot of stuff like that, but it sticks out when it happens. <laughs> Most people are so supportive. Um, so grateful that someone is doing this work and saying these things out loud, but that stuff does happen. At first it was like kind of a test for me. Like, can I handle it? Can I do this work? I had to do a lot of work around feeling safe for my family. Like, who am I as a mother and a wife if I put our lives on the line like this? Whether that means like actual physical safety or just emotional safety. You know, what does it mean when my kids are the, you know, the daughters of the mom who talks about abortion all day, every day, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. There are literally art like full on pro-life articles written about me 
out of context, aggressive, nasty, ridiculous stuff. Um, I just, so much of my work and what I teach my clients is to be, to love myself and who I am in the world. And so I just get stronger and stronger and let that stuff roll off my book back. It's definitely there. And I just let it be like, I don't fight it. I don't fight back. I don't like defend myself. Sometimes I'll explain if I think it's like educational, but I just let them be what they need to be and keep doing what I need to do. It's pretty ugly out there, but <laughs> so far my work has been very, very well received. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, commend you for not feeding the trolls. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to to be that collected about it. In the last year, year and a half since you've been doing coaching and podcasting, what are some of the biggest takeaways for you? What have you learned about yourself and about some of these complicated conversations surrounding abortion? I think the I mean the biggest thing is like we're all uniquely the same. <laughs> like we're all so different and our stories are so different, but we're all so much the same and our stories are the same. And sometimes it still surprises me. I'm like, it's almost like people get on calls with me and repeat the same story over and over again. And they think it's so unique and so that they're so alone and nobody thinks the way they do. And I just still find myself so intrigued by like how we can all be so much the same and feel so alone so that just it's just a journey of meeting everyone where they're at which is the same way I meet myself right like <laughs> to be able to do that for them I have to do that for myself like and let myself be unique and confused and afraid and like meet myself with love and compassion because that's how I serve my clients, right? Is to just meet them with non-judgment and an openness and a safe space. And so the more I do it for myself, the more I can do it for them. And the more I do it for them, the more I can do it for myself. And it's just a like evolving journey. The other thing that I'd want to mention is I'm really exploring this concept of like, what if it's not that hard? Like, what if it's just, we tell ourselves that it's hard and that it's difficult and that it's complicated and that, you know, it's awful and traumatic, but like, it's just not. So that is all still evolving for me. And I think in some ways that is the narrative of like the pro-choice narrative is like, it's not a big deal. But I think the way that I share that story is a little different than the way I learned it, at least. Um, that what's not hard is to feel sad, to feel angry, to feel confused. That we still get to feel all those things, but what if it's not that big a deal that we're angry? What if it's not been that big a deal that we feel like we've been robbed or blindsided or like whatever? What if we just let ourselves feel it and it wasn't like this big traumatic, dramatic thing? So that I'm just like continuing to explore and understand um, the more people I serve. It's like, it is hard, 
but it's not hard. <laughs> like, what do we do with that? <laughs> or are we making it harder for ourselves by ascribing all of these other external judgments about it yeah. when in fact the feeling itself is relatively simple? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, really it, fascinating. Like it was awful. You're right. That was a really hard experience you had. But like, it wasn't at the same time. Like you're a human having a human experience and like their vibrations in your body. And if you just love all those awful feelings, they're not so awful anymore. They're just feelings. Like you just get to be you. That's really interesting. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> See how that keeps evolving. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about this a bit already in terms of what you think needs to happen to shift the stigma and secrecy that exists around abortion. Is there anything else that you want to add about that? Yeah, I really do think like sharing our story is one of the biggest ways to smash the stigma, but also why do we do it, I guess, is another thing that I'm understanding more is like, do we do it so we can have access? Do we do it for our sisters? Do we do it for past generations? Do we do it because we can? And I really think like, part of why I do it is for our daughters, right? And that's like that journey I was saying of raising teenage daughters, but like what a gift it would be if my girls got pregnant someday and didn't want to be and just let it be what it was and didn't have to experience what I had to experience. And so I think like, yeah, we, sh we smashed the stigma by sharing our story, but like also it's really important to understand why we do it. And I think we can heal so much for future generations by like healing our own selves, first of all, <laughs> And letting that healing be what naturally breaks down the stigma. I actually have similar feelings about being in recovery too. Like if you can actually have a conversation yeah. with people about, I had a drinking problem and I had a bad relationship with alcohol and now I don't, you know, like, and just being yes. able to have like a really frank conversation about that. And like, it doesn't mean that there's, that I'm a defective person then, you know, somebody hearing that might be like, oh my gosh, I also have a drinking problem and I feel like a defective person, but maybe I'm not a defective person. You know, it just, yes. it does truly like open, I think the, the doors of possibility to, to have those frank conversations. Yeah. I think drinking food disorder, eating disorders and body image disorder stuff, mental, all mental health. There's so many ways that that same thing applies. Yeah. Well, you must be very good, I imagine, at helping people reframe negative self-talk and negative beliefs about abortion. And so I'm curious to know if a client comes to you and starts really beating themselves up, what are some of your go-to phrases to sort of help them reframe their experience? Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. I'm a questions person. I love questions. I think they ask our, but we have to ask really good questions. So they invite our brain to think about something differently. So some of my favorite questions are like, why is that a problem? You know, like maybe I hate my husband, right? Like he made me have the abortion and now I hate him. That's a like common one. Maybe it's not husband, maybe it's partner, whatever it is, right? 
And just to simply like stop and go like, wait, why is that a problem? <laughs> and that question allows us to like really look and investigate the deeper layers. Like I was just talking about this this week in my social media. Abortion is just like a window at like at just like drinking problems or, you know, eating disorders or any of the stuff, even accidents and cancers and pandemics and <laughs> political outrage, all the things they're just like another invite to look at what our core challenges and struggles are. And so when you ask good questions about what you're struggling with, you kind of like get to the root of the problem. So even just asking like, why is that a problem? What are you making it mean? Like, what are you making it mean about women? What are you making it mean about abortion? What are you making it mean about society? What are you making it mean about yourself? Of course is the big one, right? So what are you making it mean is another super duper important question. One of my all time favorite questions to sort of shift is, what would love do? And the thing I love most about that question is like, I always use chocolate cake as an example. Sometimes love asks you to eat the chocolate cake. And sometimes love asks you not to eat the chocolate cake, right? So if you're really angry with your husband, love might ask you to, to have a conversation with him, to confront him. Love might ask you to just like go for a walk, get an Airbnb for the night, take a break. Like, but you have to ask the question to know your answer and not just your answer, but like your answer for that moment, like in that exact time. And that's one of my favorite questions. I've followed you on social media for a long time now. And I really saw a shift in your messaging over, over this summer. And of course there was such a, massive uprising around the movement for black lives and you know against the police murders yeah. and you really made a very visible and conscious effort to to do your learning as a white woman out loud which i as a as a fellow white woman yeah. who is also always learning really appreciate i really appreciated so do you mind talking about that experience and that process for you yeah it's messy <laughs> it's never done it's scary and like super vulnerable for me. So back in March, no, February of this year, I actually had like a situation around race arise in my kid's school. And I found myself in like the center of a really challenging situation. And my love and light and make everything look pretty version of myself <laughs> really got in the way. It got in the way of me seeing what was actually happening. So I say February because this is like before George Floyd and before like race was seriously exploding as a topic of discussion and growth in our country. So this happened in February and the pivotal moment for me was seeing a friend of color with children of color who were my kids' friends, just like literally so emotional in a room, like so deeply angry and sad and scared and like all the things. And my instinct is to like 
how do we help? How do we make it better? How do we like fix it? How do we calm everyone down and make it peaceful? <laughs> and I appreciate that in myself. But what I learned most was that like, we're not always supposed to do that. Sometimes we're supposed to get really fucking pissed. <laughs> and like hold space for that as just as much as the growth. And so I, it was super pivotal for me, especially when like two months later, our country was like loud and angry and pissed and scared. And I was like, holy shit, like I just literally learned this on a personal level. So that allowed me to show up to that conversation in a way that I wouldn't have been able to. So like what you saw, I had already done so much of my own work from like a deeply personal, like shameful white woman place. <laughs> and I have so much more work to do. But when it all came out, like it, I think it's so important that we, we can't hide how we believe, like what we think about this. Like we can't not have politics and justice on our pages. Like if we're leaders, like we have to talk about that. We have to be some kind of example for that. We have to be aware and connected to what's really happening in the world. If we put ourselves out there as, online presences and leaders and voices like we got to be real and that includes all the stuff so I think that's what you saw was me just like going all right I don't know what I'm doing but I'm in it with you guys like and I have an opinion and I'm going to share it oh, I think I, I really like I said appreciated it and again back to needing to you know speak light into conversations that people just might not be comfortable having um, white women in particular showing up and, and being willing to do that, you know, even at, at the risk of saying the wrong thing, I think that is a level of courage that I really, I know a lot of my listeners are white and I, you know, continually encourage that to, to happen because it isn't perfect. But if, if we're not doing it, then we, we get stuck in that place of shame that you talked about. And that's not a place where we're going to be helpful. There was a, like a lot of shame in that journey. There's a lot of times where I completely mess up. And this actually comes right back to abortion, right? Because if I've done my healing work around shame and abortion, when I feel shame around race and justice or like gender justice or whatever, reproductive justice, I have that evidence of like, oh, I know this feeling. This is shame. This is self-criticism. This is whatever the thing is, I know what to do with that. Like I've healed from that once, now I can use that experience and manage the shame and not freak out every time shame comes around. Right, right, yeah. So we can keep keep the focus on the people who need, need the love and care and not on ourselves, right? Yeah. Focus on the black women in the room and not on ourselves. Tell us about some of the guests that you have had on. I know you've had some really amazing, amazing guests on. Who would you recommend that we seek out? What are some of the episodes that you would recommend folks start with if they were going to dive into your archives? Well, I feel like most people who will take the step to listen to my podcast are going to want some healing work, right? They're going to be looking for like, oh, someone can help me manage all these 
totally confusing feelings after abortion. So I think it was like episode, starting at episode 26, maybe. I did a series back in May of this year or last year called Honor Your Abortion. So that's a four-part series followed by like another kind of piece of it. That series is a really helpful way to go like move through a crash course in what I do. That's an amazing resource. So going back to those for your own healing, super, super good. That's especially if you want to like do some work, like do some of your own work. Obviously reach out to me if you want help, but like that's a great little set. And then I just rung in the new year with a series. I released an episode a day with master coaches, whatever that means, right? Like what's a master coach? It's just another made up thing, but I suppose it's like having a graduate degree versus an undergraduate degree. (laughs) It just means that we've put more time and investment and thought into our craft, into our belief, right? And so these are like really, really wise women. And we covered like the hot topic abortion stuff. So like relationships, grief, holding space, acceptance. And then we ended with Cara Lowenthal, who's an amazing coach and feminist. So that series starts at number 61. Awesome. I will make sure to link those episodes in the show notes. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure it gets included in your episode? I am definitely the kind of person who loves when you reach out to me. So if people have questions or want to clarify or argue with something I said, feel free to feel free to reach out to me. Like I actually love private messaging with people. So I can't think of anything else, but if a listener thinks of something that they wish we'd addressed, feel free to reach out and ask. Amanda, thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you do, sharing what you share, and encouraging us to rethink all of our paradigms about abortion, even the feminist paradigms. I just loved this conversation, and I hope we continue to have many more in the future. To all of you out there listening, if you connected with this episode, I hope you'll share it with someone, maybe someone you know who has had an abortion. One of my goals for this season is to get Feminist Hot Dog into the ears of as many listeners as possible, especially listeners who need a dose of feminism to feel more empowered in their lives. And this episode in particular is one I think could be really healing for a lot of folks. So please, if you are inclined, spread the love. Speaking of love, I want to thank all of my wonderful patrons on Patreon. Y'all are keeping my head above water as I navigate this self-employment life I've chosen. And it is literally the difference between being able to continue to produce this podcast and not. So thank you. And if you like the show, please head over to Patreon and show some love. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way toward helping keep Feminist Hot Dog alive and kicking. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Thank you all again for listening. And as always, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye.
This is Loudspeaker.